Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. We're in Luke 15. All right, let's look at the text this morning because really we're discovering something amazing. Now, grace is the most compelling concept in Scripture. To this day, I'm really amazed that God pours out his redemptive favor on people like you and me. And it's freely given to all. There's no reservation. God doesn't hold it back for a select few, but he freely gives it to every single person who asks. And when you look in the Bible, when you start to read Jesus' parables, I find his view on grace more expansive and more honest than we ever cared to imagine. Jesus teaches a disrupting grace, a grace that kind of provokes, a grace that kind of rallies, a grace that really enhances us to understand what really is this thing we call grace. And we use grace all the time. We just throw it around like it's going out of style. But I want to challenge us this morning. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this amazing thing called disrupting grace. And in order to really understand this concept, I want to take you back, turn the clock back to a time that Jesus lived. A time where he sat and he delivered some parables. And I want us to be those first listeners, the first listeners that heard this parable. So put ourselves back in that place, in that position, and really understand what Jesus is trying to tell us. And so... When you look at this, the first listeners that Jesus began to speak this grace to were spoken in parables, which is really crucial even for us to understand how grace is in our lives today. So I'm going to go through one of these parables this morning, and many of you have heard it, many of you have read it, maybe many of you have gone through it a number of times, so it's, it's not new. So I'm not going to give you some new revelation, but I'm going to challenge you to look at the same thing that you've read over and over again with a new light. So it begins in Luke chapter 15, and it says this in verse 1. Now one day, some tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, Go back again, as I said, and you have two audiences listening to Jesus. So Jesus has started to speak. There's many people that are gathered around, like this morning, where he's standing or sitting and speaking, and people have gathered together to really listen to what this man has to say. And really, the Bible tells us that there's a division of two audiences. On one hand, you have the tax collectors and you know, the sinners, and on the other hand, you have the Pharisees, who were the religious elite. And so, who are these people? Who are these tax collectors? Well, tax collectors were really despised by the Jews at that time because they went around taking tax from their own people to give to a Gentile nation that was Rome. And the sinners were people that the Jews deemed or said, when living up to the standard of Jewish life. So they were declared sinners. And then you had the Pharisees on the other side who were the ones who taught the law, who studied the law, who would go around teaching the law, and they really looked at themselves as an elite group of people that looked down on other people. So you had these two groups of people sitting there and listening to Jesus. One of them were listening with intent, and one of them were being really critical 
or what Jesus had to say. But on hearing these sort of sinister remarks, Jesus begins to tell some stories. And if you read Luke 15, you'll find that there are a series of parables. But we're going to look at the last parable today. Every time you hear a parable, it's an invitation for you to answer a question. Who am I in the parable? The teacher wants to set a concept and wants you to really identify with the character that he begins to speak about in such a way that you become characters in this parable. So with a brilliant start, Jesus begins to start this parable. He's standing in front of these two groups, remember? And so he says these parables. And the last one, he begins to talk about a father and two sons. Now the father in this story, if you haven't become aware of it already, is really representative of God. And the sons are really us. So what's left for us to determine today is really which son are you? Which son am I? Because the father is God and the sons are us. So look what it says beginning in Luke 15 verse 12. It says this. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now this is how the story started. And Jesus wanted to stun this audience because in Jewish culture, you would never go up to a father as long as he was alive and ask for your inheritance. This stunned them because this shocked them. This was against everything they believed in because no son would go up to a father who's still alive and say, give me my inheritance. What he's really saying, the son is like, father, you're really dead to me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. Give me my share of the money. I'm out of here. It's a different thing to go to your dad and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling this week. Would you mind giving me a loan? Or go to your dad and say, hey, I really want to go out with my friends. Would you give me some money so I can do that? Or, you know, I'm out of petrol this week. Would you give me $20 that I can go do that? That's a whole different thing. But this guy, he goes up to his father He says, I want you to give me my portion of the whole inheritance. So your estate, your legacy, I want it right now. I'm not going to wait around till you're dead. To me, you're already dead. The youngest son is really declaring, I want my father's money, but I don't want my father. I want my father's resources, but I don't want his relationship. So look what the scripture adds at the end of verse 12. It says this, so he divided his property between them. You're like, what? This father divides his property between the two sons. And you're like, are you seriously going to give this punk kid his share? He wants you dead. And you're going to just give him half or your share, his share of the money? You know, in Jewish culture, for father having two sons, really means that the oldest son receives a double portion and the younger son would receive one-third then. One commentator says that the word divided is the word bios. It's where you get the word biology from. And it's like when the father, what the father's really doing with his land is he's dividing his life, his very existence. He's cutting off a part of himself and giving it away to the son. This is the first act of disrupting grace. And you would think, how dare this guy come and ask his father? He'd kick him out. 
But this father gives. He just gives it. There's no argument. There's no discussion. He doesn't say anything. At the end of the verse, he says, he just gave it. He endures the misery. He endures the pain. He endures the separation of rejected love. And he still continues to give. This is really what God is. It's so fascinating that in verse 12, the parable said that he divided the the property between them. You know, when you read this parable, and I've read this parable for years, I missed a vital clue. And this is the clue. The older son, who we think is just absent from this part of the story, is really not. He's really present and active in the story. Because one of the main responsibilities of the older child was to make sure that the family stays together that the possession, the lands all stayed together, and it was his responsibility as the head of the house when his father passed away to make sure that the younger brother or his younger siblings are taken care of and they all reside in the same house. But he doesn't do that. He should have heard that the younger brother wanted to separate and his duty was to go and say, hey, I've heard that this is going on. What's going on? You know, this is not really respectful of our dad. It's not something in our culture. You shouldn't be doing this. But he doesn't do anything. He remains silent. He doesn't say a word. He just lets this whole scenario continue on. But does he do anything at all? He doesn't. He just stands there and read, and just continues to just let this happen. Read the story in our scriptures as there being only one son. And oftentimes it's called the prodigal son, yes? But really, it's a story of two sons. Two sons, a younger and an older. Both siblings are focused on getting their resources. They're just going about it a different way. And the only thing that remains constant in this whole scripture is the father. The younger son is going off, he gathers what he has, he gets all his possessions and he goes off to Gentile territory, he spends it on on worthwhile living, you know, he spends it on friends, he spends it getting all the best stuff of your life, he spends it on prostitutes, you'll find out later, he spends it on all kinds of things, eventually he runs out of the money. There's a famine in the land and he's lost everything and his friends who were sticking around when he had the money disappeared and he's left by himself. So he figures out, hey, I need to sustain myself. He goes to a Gentile guy and he goes, can I work for you? The guy goes, well, if you really want to work with me, take care of the pigs. Now, once again, this would be a humorous part of the story because remember who Jesus was talking to? He was talking to a Jewish audience. And to Jewish people, associating with pigs, eating pigs, or even living among pigs was the worst thing they could ever imagine. So this would have been, ha ha, this guy deserved it. That's what they were really thinking. You have to understand that Jesus wanted to shock them. He wanted them to see and identify with the atrocity of what this younger son did because he has something he's just going to throw in in a second that really captures their attention. So look what it says beginning at verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like the rest of your servants. That's this guy. He's at the end of his rope. He's had enough. He can't do it anymore. He's thinking, okay, let me go back to my father and I'm going to have a conversation with him and apologize. I've really done wrong. The word came to his senses in Jewish text 
really means that he had a change of mind. And a change of mind is something that we call repentance. Repentance isn't coming to the altar and crying your eyes out. Repentance is changing the way you think. You're going in this direction, you change direction and go in the opposite direction. And this is what really the guy did. So he came up with this whole scenario. The Bible says that he said, I'll go back and do this. And what he was doing was rehearsing what to say to his dad. He's like, well, I'm just going to be really repentant. I'm going to be really sorry. I'm going to use this language and say this really sorry. You ever been in trouble when you were a kid? Or you wanted something from your dad and mom and you, you knew how to do it and you went to your mom and you had a different way of talking and then you went to your dad and said something different, right? Because you knew and if you messed up, you're like, you go to your mom and you're like, you know, you love your mom and you know your mom loves you really well. Your dad might not be as understanding and so the way you talk to your mom would be completely different to the way you talk to your dad. Apologize, you know. But what this really tells us is that this, car, this guy, this kid didn't understand what grace was. Because he thought in the way that he spoke to his father, in the way that he apologized, his conversation, the way he put it together, that that would be sufficient for the father to say, okay, that's okay, come back. It's okay. He didn't understand what disrupting grace was, but disrupting grace comes in your life and changes everything. When you didn't deserve it, you got it. And so I remember... Even at boarding school, when I was a kid, I was about 10 years old, and I was at boarding school. And one of the things that was a prevailing thought in my mind was, I want to go home. You know, as a little kid living away from your parents for like almost three months, it's a bit challenging. But I really look forward to the time that the semester was over and I would get to go home. So this guy, he's been away for perhaps years. He's probably not older than 20, maybe 25 at the most, and he starts to get homesick. Some of you might have traveled to other countries and been on holiday, and you get this feeling, you've traveled a little while, it's exciting, but then you get this feeling of real homesickness. Ever had that? You just want to go home. And this guy had come to his senses. He said, I just want to go home. I don't care if I'm a son anymore. I just said, I'll settle for being a hired servant. And a hired servant was really someone who didn't live in the house, who didn't even live in the city, who lived outside the city, who would come into the city and do stuff like carpentry and take care of the garden and stuff like that. That's what a hired servant is. So he said, I'm just going to go back and ask for that. I'm going to put it together in a nice conversation, really pull at the heartstrings of my dad, say I'm sorry. In the meantime... The father, who was in his house, would get up every morning and he would go up onto the roof and he'd look out over his land and look out down the road to see and think, perhaps this is the day that my lost son would come home. Perhaps this is the day that I'll see a figure and I'll think it's my son, I'll see it's my son. And he does this every day for years. Then one morning he gets up like he always does, he goes to the roof like he always does, he looks out and he sees this figure coming and he thinks, perhaps this is my son. And he watches intently. And as the figure gets closer, he says, maybe it's my son. He can't see the face. But then he notices how the figure walks. And the way he walks is like the way his son walks. You know, parents know a whole bunch of things about their kids. And he realizes, he doesn't see the face yet, but he realizes this is his son because this is the way he walks. So he walks down, he comes out of his house and he starts walking down into this road. 
And then he sees this thing getting deeper and deeper. There's something called compassion. You know, compassion really means, if you look in the text, it means God's womb. And what it means is like you're in love with the things that come from God's womb. That's what compassion is. And this compassion begins to well up and he starts to run. He's running full tilt. He's running down the street like crazy. People are looking at him, what's going on? This is not normal. Because see, in that time for a patriarch to lift up his, his, his garment and run was unheard of. Patriarchs don't do that. People come to them. And so he takes up his robe and he runs full tin. And the whole village and all the servants that are looking on are like amazed that this father is running full tilt down the street. What's going on? He sees his son. He runs up to him. He grabs him and hugs him. And the son begins to say, you know, father, I just want to say this. And the father doesn't even let him finish. He calls his servant. He says, come, put on a robe. Wash his feet. Give him her ring, the signet ring. And let him come home. You guys go out and kill the fatted calf. Now, in that culture, they didn't eat meat all the time. To kill a lamb and to have meat was a special occasion. It was a celebratory occasion. It was perhaps something they celebrated once a year. And so the father's really signifying. He's saying, this is my son. He says, he was once lost, but now he's found. And so maybe you identify with the son. Maybe you've been in the world and you've tried everything and you've done everything that you can. But then you come to your senses and say, I need to go back to my father's house. I need to go back because I come to my senses and realize there's something great in my father's house. I want you to understand that this son did not expect to be put back in the place that he left. He came just expecting to be a servant. But to have the robe meant that he was a son. To have the ring, which is a signature ring, represented the authority and the influence of the father. To have those sandals meant that he could walk wherever the father went representing the father. This child had no identity. But all of a sudden, he comes back expecting nothing but disrupting grace just floods into his life and he's put back in the authority of sonship that he so casually gave away. Did he deserve it? I don't know if you would do it, but this father did it. And they throw a party and they kill the fatted calf and everything is great and everything is happening and a celebration is going on. And then all of a sudden, the older brother who's out in the field Here's all the party going on. And he goes to the servants and he's like, what's happening? He's like, haven't you heard? Your brother, he's back home. And they're throwing a party. He's killed a fatted calf. He's been given the robe. He has the ring, his sandals, and he's the son again. And the older brother doesn't go in to celebrate. He gets angry. He gets really angry. He says, how dare this guy who took everything, come back, and that you, my father, give him everything back. He refuses to go into the house. The father has to come out. You see, it doesn't matter if it was the older son or the younger son, the father comes out of the house to bring them and invite them back in. And so I said before, we need to identify with one of these in the, square, in the, in the story. We are either the younger son or the older son. And he goes to his dad, 
hey, Dad, I've been with you all these years. I've been obedient. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And this guy comes home, and you just kill the fatted calf and give him everything. Why didn't you give me a, a goat to have celebrated with my friends? Why couldn't I have that? And what he's really saying again is that he might have been living in the father's house, but he had no relationship with the father. He might have been there doing what he was supposed to be doing, but he didn't get the fact that he needed a relationship. And oftentimes, you know, we do it. We come to church every Sunday. We do things because we want to be obedient, because we think that our obedience means that we've earned something with God. We think we can do it, and that's enough to replace our relationship with God. Coming to church, you know, doing things out of obedience means that this is just a replacement. We don't want to get to know God. We're just being obedient because as long as we're obedient, we get what we're supposed to get. That was his mentality. I'm just doing it because eventually you're going to die, and I'm going to get what I'm supposed to get. I'm not going to be like the youngest son and make a big deal about it, but I'm just waiting for the resources too. He did it that way, I'm playing the long game. I'm doing it this way. He says, look, if you read the text, he didn't address the father respectfully. He gets mad, he says, look, it's a term like, you know what, whatever. He's mad, how dare you, you do this. To this son of yours, he doesn't even address him as brother. He says, this son of yours has come back and you just did everything for him. And I've been in your house loyal. And you did nothing. He was there doing, but he didn't love the father. He was there doing everything he was supposed to do, but he was not in love with the father. He was just doing. You know, one time, a friend of mine came. We were having a conversation. He was telling me this. He said, you know what? I told this guy, another friend of mine, that I've, been, I've read my Bible 31 days in a row. And the guy said, that's a good streak. Why don't you break it today? And he goes, what? Break the streak? No. The guy said to you, to him, I think you're more in love with the streak. And you think that doing that is going to get you a reward. But you're not interested in a relationship. You're just interested in doing the streak. Oftentimes we do things because we think those things earn favor with God. We're not interested in a relationship. We just want the reward. And this guy was living in the father's house. And he despised the fact that this guy who'd been out in the world with prostitutes, doing all kinds of things, was allowed to come back in the house. Sometimes we identify with, sometimes we're like the older brother. You know, we're in the house and say, oh, him? Don't you know he was an adulterer? And he slept around, he shouldn't be allowed to come to church. Oh, her, she stole. She was a thief. Don't use her. This guy, he was on drugs and a drunk. He shouldn't be allowed to come in this house. We have standards. Who should be allowed in and who shouldn't be allowed in? We're like the older brother. He did all manner of things, thinking he would get a reward. But he didn't like the fact that someone who was a vile, disgusting sinner, could come back in and receive disrupting grace. Could get everything of the Father's love. Just get it. He was upset. You know, when you read the parable, it just ends there. It doesn't tell you 
what happened. It doesn't tell you what the oldest son decided. Did he decide to go in with the party? Did he go in and celebrate? You know, oftentimes on Sunday we have something called celebration service because that's what we have. We celebrate, it's a party. We come in and we celebrate, but then sometimes we look with despising eyes on other people who come in who might not have the same stature in life that we do. And we're like, well, maybe I'll email them, maybe I'll talk to them on the phone, but I'm not going to be seen in public with them because that will just ruin my reputation. I'll do the things undercover, but when it comes to public displays, I won't meet them at the shops for coffee, I won't go to the mall or the shopping center and sit there in front of everyone. What if someone sees me talking to them? A drug-infected guy, a drug-induced guy, a drunk guy, he was a drunk, he was an adulterer. What if he thinks, what if they think that I'm like that? So I'm not going to do it in public. I'll send you an email. I'll talk to you on the phone. But I don't want to be associated with you in public. I'm not going to go in and celebrate with you. I'm not going to go in and celebrate on Sunday morning with them. I'll say, hello, praise the Lord, it's good to see you, but I won't sit next to you, I'll sit somewhere else. Because I don't want anyone else in the church thinking that I know you, I'm a friend of yours. That's older brother mentality. That's how he thought. That's what he did. And I said again, and I'll remind you again, who do we identify with? Do we identify with the youngest son or we identify with the oldest son? Because all of us fit in there. Just a matter of which one we are. And you might think, I'm not either one of them, I'm someone else. But this is Jesus talking. And they looked at Jesus and said, how dare you sit with tax collectors and sinners? But this grace of God, this love of Jesus, wasn't reserved for the political elite or the religious elite. It was reserved for every single one, especially for those who were sinners and tax collectors. That's what disrupting grace is. You know, there's some people, theologians and Bible scholars that say, they write the end of the story and they say, this is the end of the story because it really what Jesus was trying to show these people, both audiences, that you might be a sinner but you're welcome home. You might be an older brother and you've despised other people and looked down on people but you're also welcome home. I'm going to come out and meet each one of you. I'm not just going to come out and meet the sinner. I'm going to come out and meet you who think that you're the religious elite, but you need love and you need grace just as much as the other son. Both sons are desperately away from God. Both sons have turned their back on him. Both sons just want resources and not his love. Some theologians say that the story ends with this, that the older son picks up a stick and beats the father to death. That's what they did to Jesus, didn't they? They beat him and hung him on a cross. That's the whole point of the parable. The parable was open-ended because it's up to you. What do you decide to do? Do you decide if you're the older brother to go in and celebrate, join the party, and yes, your brother was gone, and he did all manner of things, but will you go back and celebrate that he's back home? Or do you stand outside and despise the fact that God's grace was given to them? All of us, at some point, I think, if you're in church for long enough, have older brother mentality. All of us might be recovering older brother people. And what really the parable is trying to teach us this morning is this. You know what it feels like when you judge the people? 
You know what it feels like when you get jealous that your brother got a promotion or they got something that you didn't and you're like, why God, why, why not me? I need to deserve it, I want it. That feeling you have inside, and yes, you might not show it to anyone, but it's deep down on the inside and it's jealousy and it's anger and it's frustration and it's just bound, binding you up. I have a few more things to share and we're done. If, you're, if you have this mentality, you have to ask yourself this question. What is it to you? What's more important, position or posture? What do you want? The Father's love or the Father's resources? I want to leave with you three things before we close. Because all of us sometimes go through these different scenarios. These three things, aware, acknowledge, and release. First thing you've got to do is be aware of the state of your heart. Be aware that you might be experiencing older brother syndrome. Be aware if you're getting angry and upset at someone else who got something that you thought you deserved. And then acknowledge it. Acknowledge it to God. Say, I'm feeling this way. I might have messed up. Acknowledge it to God. Acknowledge it to your leaders. Acknowledge it to someone who's not going to judge you. And then you've got to release it. Give it to God. There's no point in hanging on to this frustration and anger and being like the older son, refusing to go into the party. The reality is the party will go on whether you're there or not. The celebration will go on. And really the only one missing out on the celebration is not going to be the people celebrating, it's going to be you. One last thing. The older brother says that he doesn't want to go in. But the father says to him, my son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And here's what the father's really saying. I might have given my younger son a third of the property, but everything else was done for you. And that's the truth of grace. God did everything for us. He's given it all to us. That's what the cross was for. He has given us the power. He's given us the authority. He's given us the love. He's given us everything. There's nothing that he's held back. And what the son failed to understand that the father was giving it to him anyway. And the father's given it to us. All the love, all the power, all the authority has been given to us. And we are fighting for what is already ours. Struggling for what's already ours. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that God up in heaven looked down to a land of sin and pain and brokenness and all kind of vile behavior. And he said, I'm going to give over and over and over and over again to them. And I send my only begotten son that he might go down and give of himself that those broken sons, younger and older, may come back into my father's house. May come back into the house and know they're loved and accepted and appreciated and I did it all that they might be in my house. 
That's the whole point of this parable. To let us know whether we identify as a young son or an older son, we still have place in the Father's house. Our past attitudes, our past behaviors don't dictate disrupting grace that floods into our life over and over and over again when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't need it, we didn't even ask for it. The love of God was shed abroad in our hearts because the Father gave and gave and gave. And He continues to give. We have a wonderful prayer room and you identify with a younger son and you feel like you're not accepted and you might have come to church and people look down on you, I want to let you know that God loves you. And I want to let you know that if you need someone to talk to, you can come talk to me after and we'll sit down. There'll be no judgment. But I want to let you know that there's a place for you in the Father's house. If you're the oldest son and you've been judgmental and you look down upon people that came in after you and they got position and they got titles and they did other things and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're really upset. God's saying the same thing. He's come out to you to invite you into the party. There's a place for you too. There's a place for all of us in the Father's house. There's two sons. Who do we really identify with? That was the whole parable. And when you identify who you are, you can make the right decision to be where you've always been wanted, always been loved, always been looked after in the Father's house. Would you stand with me this morning? Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.